0: You may have picked up that today is Good Friday and we're spending a lot of time talking about uh, the cross and Jesus and blood and all that sort of stuff. But if we think back on our series that we've been working through Exodus, uh, we've covered an introduction to Exodus and did a bit of a flyover uh, from end of Joseph to where Moses confronts Pharaoh the first time, and then we have looked at each of the first nine plagues um, that went on, and we viewed them through a slightly different lens, through the lens of a battle royale between the gods of Egypt and the god of Israel. And it's a battle of the deities, so to speak, as to who has the greater god, which nation worships the stronger God? And with that in mind, we understood that the word plague actually means blow, to strike a blow, um, as in like a boxing match, so to speak. And the plagues haven't been uh, random um, things that God have. Israel just decided one day, hey, wouldn't it be fun to change the water to blood or let's see how many frogs we can fit inside Egypt. They were quite deliberately aimed at different Egyptian gods and we're going to look at the 10th plague today, the Passover um, which obviously ties in very well with Easter and that's where we're going to be going today because all along right from Genesis through Exodus that we've been looking at and through the Old Testament and into Jesus the whole point is God revealing himself to restore his creation to himself. That's the whole point of the Old Testament, God revealing himself and the whole point of the Bible, this is not God in his entirety. There is far more to God than we're ever going to possibly understand but this is God, what God has chosen to reveal to us about himself so we can draw close to him and know him better. And that because he repaired the bridge that we destroyed when we sinned, What it means is we can now cross that bridge with confidence if we choose and we're going to get there today with that where we leave our old sinful human nature on one side of the, if you think of two cliffs and a bridge going between the two, we leave our natural sinful human nature on one side and we cross the bridge and take a new nature, a godly nature, a Christ-like nature on the other side. And that bridge is only in place because of Easter, because of what we celebrate today. Without today, that bridge is not in place. It can't have been put in place any other way. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So before we start, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did what we can't do, that you took it upon yourself to restore the relationship between us and you because we couldn't restore it by ourselves. And we thank you for that. And I pray that today, as we look at your word, as we look at the 10th plague, we look at Jesus on the cross, that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and our minds, our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears, to what you have to say to us, so we can understand you better and reflect you more in every day of our lives. In your son we ask, amen. So today is 7th of April, and it's Good Friday. You know what else it is, other than Good Friday? 7th of April, every single year, It is World Health Day. World Health Day. So obviously after church today, before you dig into the hot cross buns, everyone's going to go do 40Ks. (laughs) And I don't mean in the car. It's a focus on physical health and how healthy are we physically. And obviously if I'm not the pin-up boy for World Health Day... Yeah, this too can be you. <laughs> but along with physical health, I want to ask how, you're, how healthy you are spiritually. How healthy are you spiritually? As you sit here now, today, what's your spiritual health like? Because that's an even more important question. I'm not saying physical health is not important. But your spiritual health is even more important than physical health. Because as long as our life may seem on this planet in this lifetime, eternity is far longer. And your spiritual health determines your eternity. So keep that at the back of your mind as we think about today. So... First, as as has been our our habit, we're going to look at the Exodus side of things first, the the 10th blow, the 10th strike, the 10th plague, and then we're going to move to Jesus. And um, The reading that Wal read out, and I thank Wal for that, is God giving instructions to Moses, and Moses after receiving all these instructions about the Passover lamb and how to cook the Passover lamb and how to eat the Passover lamb um, and what to do with any remains and all that sort of stuff. Um, And then after that, he goes into unleavened bread, which we're not going to focus on today, and that's why I didn't get well to read any of that. So God tells Moses and then Moses instructs the Israelite elders on what God has said. And it's interesting because this is the first time in all the 10 plagues that the Israelites have been asked to do anything. You think back over the last nine plagues, the first nine that we've looked at, at no point have the Israelites been required to do anything, have they? This is the first time that they've actually been asked to do something. And that in itself should say, okay, this has gone up a level now. This is changing. This is not just another run-of-the-mill plague. Something different is going to be happening this time because God is actually expecting the Israelites to participate in this in some way, shape or form. And The question ought to be asked because if you look at the first nine plagues, they've received some a lot of protection and a lot of blessings that the Israelite, that the Egyptians have not received. Even if you think back to last week when we spoke about darkness, the darkness for the Egyptians was so thick they couldn't even see each other and they were bumping into each other. They couldn't see a thing. It wasn't just a... A normal nighttime sort of darkness, where you might have the stars or the moon or something providing that little bit of light. There was, it was so dark that as two people are walking along, they couldn't see each other. Whereas the Israelites had, what did the Israelites have? Lights. They had light. God continued to shine light on them, and we talked about the whole darkness, light sort of comparison between God and sin. But what had Israel done at any point to warrant that blessing? Nothing. Not a cracker. was that? That's right. They were God's chosen people. Why did God choose them? Had they done something? No, not a thing. If anything, the one thing they had done is give God more headaches. <laughs> Even if you want to go back and, and some people start, state, well, the reason they get the blessings is because of what? Abraham, because they're children of Abraham and children of Isaac and children of Jacob sort of thing. Okay, well, let's go back to them for just for a second. What did they do for God. What did they do to earn something from God? Nothing. So they received blessing for doing actually, ultimately nothing. God chose to bless them. And that has flowed through to the current crop of Israelites in Egypt that are slaves. And they've done absolutely nothing to earn, to justify, to demand this sort of blessing, have they? That's called grace. And many people look at the Bible and they get the Old Testament and they go, God's angry and God's nasty and God's vindictive and God's an evil God in the Old Testament and then he has a personality change, must have seen some good psychologist during the the gap of the, the two Testaments, and then in the New Testament, God's love. Well, no. It's the same God, and we discussed that a while ago. It's the same God, and in fact, it's such the same God that there is grace flowing through the Old Testament just as much as there's grace flowing through the New Testament and grace flowing today. God has always wanted to bless his creation. God has always wanted to be known by his creation. That has never changed. And the grace that God shows us today is the same grace that he is shown to the Israelites back in Egypt. They didn't earn this, but they got the blessings from God. Why? Because of grace. Now, there's a number of Egyptian gods as has been our habit this series. We've looked at a different Egyptian god per plague and we've seen how that has helped us understand why God chose that plague. And there's been, a, for some of the plagues there's a number of gods we could have looked at but we've chosen one per plague. And today's no different. We're going to choose one. Again, there, there's a number we could have picked on But I think the God that we're going to look at today um, illustrates what God wants us to get out of this passage and and this particular scenario quite well. And the 10th plague is the death of the firstborn son. And as well read in Exodus 12, this was going to affect not just people, this was going to affect animals, this was going to affect everything in the land. Now, Egyptians have already had hail and locusts and cattle have been killed. And if the country's not decimated enough, now every single firstborn male is about to die. And the God that, um, the Egyptian God that, the God of the Israelites is aiming to um, do battle against this time, strike a blow at this time, is Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh has set up himself as a god worthy of worship. And right throughout the 10 plagues we see Pharaoh hold himself as I have the power, I have the ability to say yea or nay, I can let you go, I can not let you go, I can demand the terms on What you do, I can control your lives. You are under my power. And so God says, okay, it's now your turn. You're now the focus of this next plague. And the punishment, as we said, is the death of every firstborn male. And some people go, well, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty nasty of God to do that. Is it? Is it pretty harsh? Bear in mind that the entire Egyptian nation, for however long this has been going on for, it could have been a year, you could have gotten through the nine plagues in a month and a half. But a month and a half s not that quick either in reality. And throughout these nine plagues, the entire nation has seen how powerful the Egyptian God is and they have chosen to not worship him. Every single person has made a decision as to what they are going to do with the Egyptian God. And if you reject God... There is but one answer as to what's going to happen. It can happen now, it can happen later, but it's going to happen. And that is God says, you have to pay the price for your decisions, for your rejection of me, for your sin, for your self-serving attitude. And however you want to define self-serving, the fact is we look after ourselves before we look after God. It's all about priorities. And the Egyptian nation, for at least a month and a half, quite possibly longer, has ins- witnessed all these plagues, these stru- blokes, these, these s- blows, these strikes, these miracles, these supernatural things, and they have not fallen into line and gone to the, Egypt, to the Israelites, we want to worship your God with you. And so therefore the punishment is not harsh. It is quite fair. We all deserve it because we've all rejected God at some point. And you can say, well, I haven't rejected God. Well, you have if you've put yourself before God at any point, in any situation, for any reason. If God is not number one priority, and by number one I mean number number one, To the expense of everything else. If God is not number one, then he is not number one. And that is falling short of God's standards. Sound harsh? Sound tough? That's what God expects. God is love. But God is also righteous, perfect, holy it's one or the other Jesus himself said the Christian life is not a walk in the park it is tough it's going to come at a cost but if God is that important to you you will pay it now that If we go back to the details that God gave Moses to pass on, there's quite a number of them, but there's two that I would like to quickly touch on. The first one is that the lamb must be without blemish. Okay, The lamb that they chose, that each of the households chose to be the Passover lamb for them, had to be without blemish. They couldn't take the dodgy old Samuel lamb that was missing a couple of legs and blind in one eye and... No, 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 no. This lamb had to be without blemish. It had to have all four legs. It had to be valuable. Okay? It had to be valuable. And to ensure that it was of value, it had to be a certain age. It couldn't be too young, but it couldn't be too old. It can't be the one that's about to kick the bucket anyway On, oh, okay, we'll use, we'll use this lamb for the Passover because it's going to die in three weeks anyway, so we might as well use this one up. And No, no, no. This one had to be in, without blemish, it had to be in full health and of value to the family. This had to cost something. That's what God's saying. This Passover lamb is going to cost you something. does God, our faith in God, does our journey with Jesus each day cost us something? That's a rhetorical question, that one. But I want you to start asking that question. What is my faith in God actually costing me? Because it should cost something. There's the hint for you. It should cost something. If it is not costing you anything, then you need to explore deeper. Is my faith actually genuine? Am I truly living out my faith 24-7? Because it should cost you something. In this day and age, in this modern Western society today, your faith should cost you something. And the Passover lamb was meant to cost something to the Israelites back in ancient Egypt. The other instruction that's worth noting is that the door of, the door frame of the house they lived in or the tent that they lived in, which was quite common, the Israelites living in the tents in, in Egypt, had to be painted with the blood of the lamb after it was killed. And this lamb was kept in the house for a few days. Some theologians even state that For those days that this lamb, this one-year-old without blemish lamb, this perfect lamb that was going to be killed for the family, actually had to eat at the family table at night. It stayed in the house. It was part, for four days it was treated as part of the family. You reckon you can work out why that was the case? pardon? It'll be hard to give it up. up. You've brought in this cute, fuzzy, wuzzy little lamb, one year old. You're treating it as part of the family. Lambs are cute. Sheep are ugly. But lambs are cute. This one year old lamb, and you're treating it as part of the family. The kids get attached to this lamb. We like Sean. And after a few days of living with Sean and appreciating Sean the sheep, Sean is now getting painted over the doorframe. It's meant to cost something. It's meant to not just be easy. It is a sacrifice. The other interesting part about painting the blood on the doorframe is not just that um, it's a shedding of blood, as a substitution and it was a blood substitution. We see that back in Genesis with Adam and Eve after they sinned and we see it right through the Bible. Blood is sub- innocent blood is substituted for people's sin. But it's not just that. What it is is it's an act of faith. Have you thought about that? Ever thought about that before? That Moses is going to the Israelite elders and saying, okay, you've got to bring in a lamb, you've got to treat it like family, you've got to be really nice we'll let it eat at the table, it's got to sleep in the house, sleep in the house for these days. You've got to treat it as part of the family, then you've got to kill it, and you've got to take its blood and paint it over your door frame. That takes a bit of faith, doesn't it, to do that. There's no guarantees this was actually going to happen other than God's word saying this is what I'm going to do. And you can say, oh, well, God said it was going to happen, so it's going to happen. Yeah, okay. God also says many other things that we today don't trust him on, do we? Because we still worry, we still fret, we still try to take matters into our own hands. We don't take God on his word 100% of the time. Why should the Israelites? It was an act of faith to paint your door. The other thing painting your door does is it makes you stand out. It made the Israelites stand out. They were then noticeable. The Egyptians weren't out renovating their houses with lamb's blood. It was just the Israelites. So God's asking the Israelites to... Do something that's going to be costly to them. It's got to be an act of faith and your act of faith that's going to cost you a lot is actually going to make you stand out. Interesting, isn't it, when you look at it like that? Not quite so irrelevant now, is it? there's more than a couple of crossover links we could explore if we have more time but I want to jump forward to Jesus and I want to look at the passage that the other passage I got walled to read out John 19 28 to 37 so we've considered the Passover lamb when it happened in in Exodus the first time and if you're wondering well hold a sec you haven't finished the The Passover lamb part in Exodus, you haven't finished that off yet. Yeah, I have for today. See, maybe this is not a very nice thing to do, but this is part one. This sermon is actually a two-part sermon and guess when part two is going to happen? Sunday, that's right. So, if you want to hear the end of this sermon, you've got to come back on Sunday. (laughs) I'm not just a pretty face. <laughs> I've got, I got someone in the crowd who likes me. <laughs> so, we are going to wrap this up on Sunday, so you will need to come back to the, the second half. So, I do want to move forward to Jesus. And... It's quite interesting, and I and I'm not doing this to embarrass Wold, but when Wold got here this morning, he asked me if I was certain they were the readings I wanted, and he did say to me, "Yeah, the John readings at the end of the cross thing, yeah, F- focusing on the end." I went, "Yeah, okay, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll read it then, mate. I'll." I'm not doing it to embarrass Wall. Please don't pick on Wall. But yes, I'm focusing on the M. See, we've been talking about Passover lamb. We've been talking about 10th plague today. And the fact is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's the claim. That's the claim of the Bible that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So we've just explored what the Passover lamb was at the first time There was a Passover lamb and the designs around it and what the intent was and some of the requirements of that Passover lamb. But if Jesus is going to be our Passover lamb, then doesn't Jesus need to match that? Doesn't Jesus need to qualify as our Passover lamb if he's going to, in fact, perform the role of Passover lamb and shed his blood and what not doesn't he actually need to fit it? because if he doesn't need to fit it why do I need to fit it? I could be the Passover lamb so there's got to be we need to qualify and that's what we're going to be doing today does Jesus qualify as our Passover lamb? now the Sunday school answer is yes yes Jesus does. Okay, let's go home. (laughs) But let's look at it a bit deeper because we start the passage of verse 28 later, knowing everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled and for those listening later on the readings from John 19 John 19 and then starting at 28 but Knowing that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked, up, soaked a sponge in it and stuck it up on a big hyssop stalk and gave it to him to drink and then whatnot. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, well, hold a sec. Why is he drinking wine now? Because your memory might be going back to one of the other gospel accounts when Jesus refused to have a drink. They offered him a drink and he refused and now he's apparently done everything and now he's having a drink and what's the deal with that? Well, there's actually two different types of wine and we could spend a lot longer in it than what we're going to today. But the basic summary is the first wine that was offered to him that he rejected was a wine that would dull his senses to a degree. Make the crucifixion just that little bit more bearable if crucifixion can be at all bearable. Okay, the first wine was designed to actually make it just that, take that little bit of an edge off it, so to speak. And Jesus refuses. At this point, he accepts a wine that actually does not have that effect. It's not going to dull his senses. It's not going to make it more enjoyable now. And so he is willing to drink that. So all about Jesus going, I am here to experience this fully. I am not going to take a drink or any other thing that is going to dull my senses to the situation that is going on here. Okay, so Jesus is still completely in his right mind. Even at this point, after being on the cross for hours and having to pull himself up using his nerves, literally wrought nerves, as the thing to pull up himself up so his raw hamburger back can slide up the wood. And as I said, it wasn't a cross that they'd sanded, planed and sanded and varnished and covered it, you know, made it all shiny and smooth. This cross here, this little cross here, would be smoother than the cross he got to slide his raw hamburger back up and down. It was a brutal way to die. But Jesus is still in his right mind. But as I said, to be in his right mind is one thing, but does he qualify as the Passover lamb? Well, let's look at it. Jesus is in his prime. Would you agree? Just like the lamb had to be. Jesus is without blemish, would you agree? Just like the lamb had to be. If we kept reading the Exodus passage, we would get to the point where it says he had, they were not allowed to break any bones of the Passover lamb. And Jesus didn't have any broken bones. The Passover lamb sacrifice had to be enough for everyone. Does Jesus' sacrifice pay the price for everyone? The Israelites were ordered that in the morning there was to be nothing left. Once the Passover meal has finished, there is nothing left of the Passover lamb. Was there anything left of Jesus after he died? No. He had given his all. Just like the lamb had to be. I would argue that Jesus is a better Passover, than, better Passover lamb than the Passover lamb was. At Passover... Jesus, along with everything else he did in his ministry, and we regularly see it throughout the four Gospels, Jesus redefining things to actually take it to a higher level. He didn't water down God's laws. He didn't water down God's expectations on people. If anything, Jesus time and time and time again took the expectations to a new level up. And with being the Passover lamb, Jesus yet again takes what it means to be a Passover lamb to a whole new level, higher. He was the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for all people who have fallen short of God's standards. If you're you're a person and you have never sinned, I need to speak to you. (laughs) But if you have ever sinned, then you have fallen short of God's standards. And that's why Jesus came. For you. So, we now need to come to the big question of, and this question has to be answered. You have to answer this question and no answer is still an answer. Just putting that disclaimer out there. We need to regularly go back and reconsider and ask ourselves, is Jesus our Passover lamb? Do we accept the fact that we are covered by Jesus' blood or not? And that's not a one-off question. Many people think that's a one-off question. I, I, I prayed the prayer once and so therefore I'm now a Christian and I'm all good. No, no. It's a daily question we need to ask ourselves. Is Jesus' blood covering me today? See, the Passover lamb shed his blood to cover people and protect them from God's wrath. Jesus, by shedding his blood, covers us. And when I say us, I mean there is this sacrifice covers every single person who ever was, ever does, currently, and will ever live. There is enough blood shed. Because it was perfect and innocent, it can cover everyone. But at no point am I preaching universalism. Universalism says that at some point in the future God's going to cave in and go yeah okay everyone can come into heaven doesn't matter what you did with Jesus or not Jesus or me or I just love you too much and everyone gets a ticket into heaven that's universalism and that's not the case if you took out every reference to people needing to make a decision in the New Testament you would lose three quarters of the New Testament Jesus it's very clear that people need to make a choice. Paul is very clear that we need to make a choice. But if every single person on the planet, whoever did live, currently lives or will live, if every single person were to go, yes, I accept Christ as my Lord and Saviour, there is enough of a sacrifice to cover that. God the Father's not going to go, Crikey!s I didn't realise we're going to get so many people to this, you're going to have to go and die again, (laughs) just to shed a bit more blood. There is enough blood sacrificed in this one act to cover whoever comes. But you need to choose that for yourself. And we spoke about free will just a little bit earlier and we're going to come back to it now. Free will. Everyone was given a free will. And you need to choose for yourself whether you're going to be covered by this blood, this Passover lamb blood or not. You need to make that choice for yourself because no one else can make it for you. And we need to regularly make that choice. See, some people... Come to church, and they've never actually truly made that choice, but they think that if they work hard enough and serve well enough and do enough nice things, that they'll be allowed into heaven because they belong to a church and they did some nice things. They're wrong. Other people think, well, I prayed that prayer once, and therefore I'm a Christian, therefore I never need to go to church. I don't need to go to church, I don't need to do that stuff because I'm a Christian and the Bible doesn't tell me I have to go to church. And someone once said that going to church and thinking you're a Christian because you go to church is like standing in a garage and thinking you're a car. That's very true. You can't earn your way into heaven by going to church a certain number of times. However, if you're truly covered in the blood of the passover lamb then you will want to go to church on a weekly basis you will want to read your bible each and every day you will want to live your life in such a way 24 hours a day seven days a week 52 weeks a year and the extra day in the leap year as well you will want to do that not out of earning that blood that sacrifice but thanking god for that sacrifice it'll be a thankfulness that flows out of you and the more you draw closer to the Passover lamb, the more that will reflect out of you because you will understand that without the Passover lamb, I am in deep trouble. You understand? It's not a I'm earning anything. It's not a I have to because now I'm a Christian. It's a I want to because I want to be thankful. And the only reason we have that opportunity to be thankful is because of what the Passover lamb did in the first place. It's got nothing to do with us. We haven't heard it. Just like the Israelites back in Egypt. What have they done to earn God's blessing? Absolutely sweet diddly. What have we done today to earn God's blessing? Absolutely sweet diddly. What did Abraham do in order to earn God's blessing? Absolutely sweet diddly. No one has earned God's blessing. No one has ever put God in a place where God goes, oh, well done on that, I guess I owe you. (laughs) No one. But because of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, we can walk into God's presence and worship and know him. We're going to close this, this, do the second half of the sermon on Sunday when we look at the resurrection and Israelites being sent out of Egypt. And so... Sunday is a follow-on from today, but let's pray first. Father, we thank you that you are the great and heavenly God. We thank you that you took it upon yourself to provide the way back to you because we could never do it ourselves. And following you is costly. Following you does take an act of faith. Following you should make us stand out. And too often, we don't want that. Too often, we wanna stay comfortable. Too often, we don't wanna stand out. Too often, we don't want to pay the cost. We want the result, we want your blessings, but we're unwilling to pay the cost. We want you to meet us on our terms, and you've already made the terms far better than we ever deserve. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you will guide us, that you will shape us, and that you will shine out of us, Lord. In your son's name. Amen.